Alright, hey guys, how's it going? Welcome back to Some Sanity with Morgan Zeggers. That's me. How's it going? Uh, welcome back to another episode. This is the first episode that we're doing multiple episodes per week. Right now it's going to be two. We're going to move into three soon on, but I need a little time, okay? Uh, I actually am trying to get OBS and, and Streamlabs all set up on my laptop and... My poor little laptop really puttered out when I tried to test it out for the first time to actually go to Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch at the same time. So um, that's currently the situation. And right now, I guess I'm just going to have to keep pre-recording and then posting, and that's fine. Um, a lot of crazy stuff has happened, of course, because it's 2021 and weird things happen all the time. So I want to catch up on those things with you guys. Um, but I do owe everyone from the last episode a finish off to what that crazy CNN uh, CCP propaganda article was all about. It's uh, wow. Um, for those who weren't listening to the last episode, I highly suggest it. We went through an article written by some people at CNN that basically applauded and idolized the top-down one-party system that communist China has and how that creates efficiencies allowing them to really solve the COVID-19 pandemic. And we talked about how similar that was to the language that the radical left used for us back in early March and April 2020, especially in their desire to convince us that their ideas and their policies of government-controlled fill-in-the-blank for everything would actually make us uh, more efficient and better off for solving the pandemic's crisis. So very frustrating to read it, but it's good for us to see this kind of stuff. And honestly, thank you to CNN for exposing itself. I love when they make it easy for us to see where their true values really are. And for those writers at CNN, we're going to do an investigation, I swear. I think we're going to do a whole episode digging into them and seeing... Is anything sketchy happening behind the scenes? Because that's been the case with the New York Times. It's happened with multiple media outlets throughout the 20th century in America where they have uh, secret ties between a communist regime, a communist dictatorship, and uh, they get a little money to post some, some more beneficial stories for them. It's disgusting, but there's a long history of it. So we're going to do a deep dive another episode, though. So just to kind of finish off that article from CNN. I said I was going to read the second part of it, but really the second part of it was actually talking about how we need to prepare for our holiday shopping to be affected because there's COVID issues in China and uh, it's going to put a damper on our holiday shopping because things are going to be delayed in China. You guys, how about just don't buy your holiday things from communist China? That's my advice. So as I read that part of the article, I was like, that is such an easy problem for us to solve. We can just get our products and our gifts that we give to people from small local businesses. They deserve our support after pretty much the largest, greatest, or worst wealth transfer in one of the largest and greatest wealth transfers in world history. And it was supported by the government that kept corporations and big box stores open while forcing small businesses to shut down and threatening small businesses with child protective services and hundreds of thousands of dollars of fines and jail time for what? Daring to open their doors during COVID like all the corporations and big businesses were able to do the whole time. Aw, shucks. So for Christmas, instead of 
falling for CNN's propaganda that tells you, you know, start shopping early or else you're going to have to get hit with the delay of products because of communist China. Instead, just get your Christmas presents from local stores in your town. Yay. Okay. Um, that kind of finishes that off. You guys, little pitch. Please subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. If you haven't seen me on YouTube yet, I put all my speeches and my news interviews. I'm going to start posting them more because I always go on the news and forget to like tell people that I just did that. Um, and this podcast. So the video version is on YouTube. Please subscribe, comment, engage, all the jazz. And then this podcast, for those who want the audio version, is on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So give me the five-star review, please, please, please. And write a little review that says, this is the best podcast you've ever heard. Again, not pushing you, not asking for much, but just say it's the best thing that you've ever heard in your whole life. Um, this time, so I saw something. I have a few things that I want to talk about. But the first thing I want to do is go through this Instagram post from DC Drano. I love Drano. Um, he shared a post from Evan Kilgore, and it listed out all the things that Ron DeSantis has done. And I was like, you know what? This deserves more attention. So I'm just going to go through this list with you guys because it's a long, a long list. And I was like, wow. Uh, number one, first to open up state and prove COVID precautions were a lie. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal. Number two, passed robust voter integrity laws. Yes. Number three, passed a law allowing citizens to sue and profit from big tech for unlawful censorship. Another huge issue. Number four, banned transgenders from participating in women's sports. Good. Uh, this has nothing to do with, with any hate for transgender athletes, for transgender people. That's their choice. But there's a way for us to respect them and their choice without having to harm an entire, pretty much half of the population because transgender people are what, less than 1% of the population. We're now impacting all women that will be competing in sports, and most young girls do when they're younger. And what we're seeing now, and I talked about it in the last episode, I've also done a video on it for the first, the transgender athlete that was allowed just recently to compete to try and get into the Olympics, they qualified and now they're going to be competing at the Olympics. So a 40-something-year-old man who transitioned when he was in his 30s, so that means he went through puberty as a male, biological male, and then became an adult biological male and got all of the advantages of what that means is now transitioned to a woman and is going to compete against women at the Olympics, which is like the epitome of sports. And so I was digging into it, and I, I think I talked about it a little bit. I found a, a couple more numbers based on last episode. There uh, is a requirement for the International Olympic Committee to compete as a biological male that identifies as a transgender woman. You have to have 10 nano. 10 nanomoles per liter of testosterone. So you have to lower your testosterone level to 10 nanomoles per liter. Now you might look at that and be like, okay, that sounds scientific. Like that must be some chemical thing that, that makes sure that the chemicals are the same in a male and a female. Okay, but wait, did you know that 10 nanomoles per liter is still five times the amount of testosterone that a natural woman has in her body? That doesn't really make sense. And then what I found really interesting was the other second concerning factor of this, scientists are starting to speak out and say, first of all, this is flawed policy to only restrict testosterone levels. 
in a male biological male competitor who's going to compete against women because not only is it you know more testosterone than a woman has in her body it's also not doing anything about a lot of the other advantages it doesn't mitigate any of the other advantages that a biological male that has especially been through puberty will have when competing against a woman like bone density muscle density literal size of body etc so i thought that was very interesting i don't think it's bad at all to say, you know, we want to respect your choice. We want to let you make that kind of choice for yourself as an adult, but that doesn't mean you get to disrupt and make an entire field of a sport uncompetitive, especially at the Olympics. And and you're disadvantaging every single woman in the country by telling her that she might work her entire life to get to this, this pinnacle of her career and then compete against a biological male and lose. Um, I can't remember who it was, but a football player just came out today and said, I can't imagine being a woman that would train and train and train my whole life and then get to that moment in my life where it's it's now or never for a, a major competition and then lose to uh, a biological male that just transitioned. It's He said that he, he would not know what to do with himself. And I, I think that was really cool coming from a pro male athlete who can just attest to the fact that the mentality of a sports person is so serious, you put your blood, sweat, and tears into it, and then it can be taken away by something that truly just isn't fair. So the left is all about fairness. This is not fair. Let me tell you that. <laughs> um, let's move on with this list. Number five, gave first responders a $1,000 bonus. That's cute. I like that. Uh, number six, banned vaccine passports. I like that a lot. Um, there's a school in Illinois right now. So I think what happened is, it might be Illinois. I might be wrong on this. There's a state that basically the governor said, you cannot require pack vaccine passports uh, for students to get into your, your school, your taxpayer-funded public school. And so the university decided to get a little fuzzy with the words and instead of requiring vaccination passports. They are just requiring some, it, they just literally changed the word of like, we need you to validate that you've been vaccinated. Please insert your information here. And so instead of like, oh, we're not gonna make you show us your passport. We're just going to make you validate that you've been vaccinated. So they played on the words. I don't know what's gonna happen, but this will be a good example for us to follow of, of what is gonna be the legal precedent here. Are they still violating the law? by just changing up the words there. Uh, number seven, penalizes businesses $5,000 each time they ask for proof of vaccination. I kind of like that. Uh, number eight, pardoned everyone fined or imprisoned for breaking COVID restrictions. That alone is presidential, presidential. It's everything I want in a leader. And if a conservative governor right now does not do this and then tries to run for president or a higher office, I will never support them. That's what I've decided. This should be the requirement for us to support conservative leaders in the future. What were your reactions once we realized that this was all a scam? Did you free all of those people? Did you take away all their fines? Did you take away their, their criminal accusations against them for daring to open up their small business? If you didn't, I will never vote for you. And I think every organization, every PAC, every meaningful and serious group and person in our movement should say, we will not support anybody for a higher office that does this. Not just like, oh, we're not going to support you in re-election. 
you never have political steps after this because we just don't have your back. I think that's important. Um, hmm. What's next? Ooh, nine passed anti-riot bill cracking down on BLM Antifa rioters. Yes, I think they're domestic terrorists. Thank you, DeSantis. Number 10, banned critical race theory in Florida schools. I like that. I was on a call with um, Heritage Foundation. They do the Young Freedom Leaders call, and it's basically like a representative from every youth group in the movement. So Yas is in that. Um, And they were kind of briefing us on the fact that while we do want to make sure that CRT isn't in schools and we do want to make sure that our kids aren't being indoctrinated and we want to watch this and we want to make sure that it's really just out of our way forever, banning it might be a challenge because then they can bring in some angles legally to say that we are banning freedom of speech or that we're trying to prevent the education of something. And so we have to be smart when we go at a state level or local level, like school boards or state level legislatures, uh, in saying how we're actually going to defeat it. So I'm interested in seeing how this banning outright in Florida schools is going to go the CRT, if it's going to hold up, but it's going to be years of, of court battles. That's the thing with like our justice system, right? Like the, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. It's going to be a long time before we figure this out. That's also the beauty of it, right? No immediate dangerous action can happen against us, but also when we're seeking justice, when we're seeking um, clarity on a really difficult issue, it does take years. And trust me, I've been through some legal stuff myself. It, it takes forever. But at the end of the day, I'm thankful for the legal system, and I do wish we could get the kinks out of it, of course. Um, but moving on. This one's good. 11, passed bill to have schools teach evils of communism. So this is a little dream of mine, and I'm fine with talking about it publicly because I'm not like, this is my secret plan that no one else can hear about. And if anybody does it without me, I'm going to be sad that that my like, oh, my extravagant idea was stolen and used without me. And I don't get the credit. I don't really care. I just want it to happen. Um, I've been so interested in figuring out how we can make sure that young people in schools, as early as middle school at least, are taught about history, economics, policy, current events, uh, specifically around the 20th century. So the rise of capitalism and along with it, the rise of socialism and communism in other countries. And then along with that, the horrors of the impact of socialism and communism. Uh, I've been looking into it. It's very difficult. It would pretty much have to be at a local level, like a school board requiring certain curriculum or a state legislature working on it first and then having it passed at the state level because, I mean, we're conservatives. I don't believe in top-down. I don't think the Department of Education should even exist. Um, So for me, it's like a bunch of different factors, right? First of all, I don't think we should be in government school. I don't trust the government to teach my kids. If you can see what the teachers believe these days, if you see what the teachers' unions do, if you see what the left is saying of become a teacher so you can have political power, you don't want your kid there. So if you see the curriculum as well, wow. I don't think kids should be in government school. That being said, it's not easy for everyone to go to private school. I could never afford to send my kid to private school. I will never be able to do that. So I can't send my kids to private school. I know many people can't. Charter school, maybe they're not around in your area. Not everybody has that opportunity. Same thing with price of, you know, some states, blue states are making it incredibly hard to get kids out of public school and either that's homeschool or charter school, whatever, they hate the idea of school choice and they want to get rid of it to make every kid go to public school. So there's a bunch of different problems with this. I will give a shout out. There's a really cool charter school run by Tim Kennedy up in Austin. And a little side dream of mine is to have a charter school one day 
that I run and build little patriots out of it. But um, back to the point is that not everyone can either get their kid in private school or charter school or homeschool them. Some kids do have to go to public school. I went to public school. And so we can't all just say, well, we got our kids out of public school, so that's all we need. We need to be thinking and protecting the young minds that are vulnerable that have to go to public school that don't have another option. And so we do still have to work on the public school curriculum. We do still have to be there and advocate for them because we should care about those kids just as much as we care about our own. That doesn't mean we we make choices for them and that we should step in where parents should be making decisions. No, no, no. But as a local community, as, as a unit of what we are, like I think of my little town, I love my town, we should be there for each other. And part of that means protecting the young minds that are vulnerable to the radical left and the indoctrination coming down from a federal level and coming down from the $90 million that is funding Black Lives Matter to get critical race theory into schools. So I look at a bunch of different ways that we could do it. And one of my ideas is to have curriculum written in the same way that's written for Holocaust education. So in about 11 states, there is Holocaust required education. And the language of the bill that got it passed in these 11 or so states is to teach about the horrors of the Holocaust in order to make sure that the horrors of the Holocaust never happen again. Now, if it's passed in 11 states, I think that we could do something similar where we teach about the horrors of communism and specifically like the Holocaust, they teach how it came to be to make sure that we could prevent it in the future. We need to teach how... Marxism, the division that is spread, the misinformation, the distortion of history leads to this Marxist divided population, leads to us wanting and and desiring massive wealth transfer because we have that jealousy and we have that hate for another group of people, the owning class or whatever it may be. So the implementation of economic socialism, the use of uh, authoritarianism to control and to dictate, and then the totalitarianism to eliminate any wrong think or anybody from speaking out, and that all leading to eventually communism. So if we did that and maybe started in the Republican trifectas of the country and then and then moved into, you know, more purple states that were maybe controlled by a governor that's Republican, whatever we wanted to do, I think that might be a great way to make sure that, hey, This required curriculum that's three to four days is required to be taught once in middle school to every kid and then once in high school to every kid before they get sent off to college. So that's just one of my ideas, and it's in the back of my head all the time. I've been told you guys before by some big people out there that are a little too caught up in the D.C. style of conservative politics that my idea to focus on making sure young people get educated about these issues like history and economics too cultural. So I think the fact that we're going through a cultural revolution kind of means that we need to get a little cultural. But being told that doesn't make me want to say, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Never mind. Instead, I'm like, okay, I'll figure it out. That's fine. Thank you. I came to partner, but whatever. Um, I really do believe in this. Maybe the DC people don't think that, but I think it. And I think a lot of people would agree with me on this. And so to see Governor DeSantis do this. I can't tell you how excited it made me because we just need to start acting. And he understands the cultural battle that we're up against. He understands uh, how important education is. And to see it in action in Florida is awesome. I'm excited to see the rollout. And I think we're going to be able to get this done in multiple states. If you're interested in something like this, I've been trying to build little plans and, and evaluate what we have, the resources that we have, how much we need to fundraise, who can help us write the curriculum. I've got somebody who already offered to write the curriculum and it's in an awesome thing. I don't want to like announce it or anything, but 
there's just so much that could happen. So if you're interested in something like that and you maybe want to talk with me, let me know, just reach out. Um, I don't really, you could just reach out to me on Instagram or whatever you want. Uh, but that's something that I really want. So kudos to Ron DeSantis for that one. Okay, next one. Number 12, cracked down on local government gun control laws. Okay, interesting. I'm in Texas right now where I think they, they literally just passed something of like a uh, permitless carry. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I'm the wild west here. Okay, this is fun. Um, moved to Texas at a cool time. Uh, number 13, signed anti-mob law allowing citizens to sue local governments if property is destroyed in riot. Bingo, 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 because there was no accountability over the last what, two years of rioting where we're seeing all this destruction and we don't exactly know who to hold accountable because it's all these people in masks and black block and then they disappear by daylight. Uh, in New York City, this was so infuriating. The charges were dropped on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rioters and looters from last year during the George Floyd protests. Um, the charges got dropped and it wasn't really announced. Uh, I think NBC did an investigation in it, and the, the investigation results just came out. But yeah, just over time, they keep letting people off the hook, dropping the charges. And one of the reasons, according to a source in the DA's office in New York City, is because they're stretched too thin and they have limited resources. So the same defund the police movement is causing so much crime that the police don't have the capability to even hold them accountable. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Wow, that's that's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. Um, and then 14, signed bill requiring parental consent for underage abortions. I like that. I like them apples. That's a whole other other situation that we're going through. But in general, you guys, when I see a list like that, I think a lot of us get caught up in that like, oh man, I wish I lived in Florida mentality or uh, I should move to Florida or uh, why can't my politicians be like Ron DeSantis? I want Ron DeSantis to run for president one day. What if we all just sat and thought, oh wait, I could literally do what Ron DeSantis did. He ran for office. He kind of worked his way up and he was a leader in every single thing that he did. And so I think for us, we should take that mentality. We're not all going to be governor of Florida or governor of our states, but what if we ran for school board and acted like Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis energy? And what if we ran for state legislature and acted like Ron DeSantis and maybe ran for Congress and acted like Ron DeSantis and then became governor of our state and acted like Ron DeSantis. There's so much more than what goes on in the politics of Washington, D.C. and what goes on in the governor's mansion. And we have too many, how do I put this, spineless, power-hungry and political wannabes that run for office and find themselves in office and just like to kind of sit there and do the little political game. And how cool would it be if all of the people that have the guts of Ron DeSantis but just admire him and don't see themselves in his position just said, hell, I could put on a suit. I mean, that's what I said. Like, I started going to my speeches and stuff, and I was like, I'll just get some heels and stuff and some dresses, dress up and do the political thing. And it worked. And so that's my, my mentality is like, why do I keep – hoping that we have more Ron DeSantis's and hoping that we could multiply him or hoping that he'll run for higher office one day when we could just start acting like him and leading like him 
And instead of trying to be him, because we should always try to be our own individuals, like we could just have his spirit and understand that it can be done. Like he's just an example that you can stand up to the mob, to the media, to the crazy authoritarians out there. And, and you could just make it through. You could be a great family man. You could be a successful veteran. And, and then you can lead in your community. You could do all the things and still be a politician. And I kind of like that. You know, like celebrity politicians these days with Trump and, and now you have Caitlyn Jenner and, and Kanye West that he was running. And I think Kid Rock said they were running. I don't know. I, I just like the idea of average people not the political wannabes that want to be a president when they're 20 years old and just have that aspiration all their lives. What if we just had like awesome dads and awesome moms say, I'm going to run for school board. I'm going to run for state office, stuff like that. But that takes a real mentality shift amongst all the stupid politicos out there that just thrive on the industry of politics. There's a lot of money to be made in the industry of politics. Maybe I'll talk about that one day of how much money people actually make that don't do anything really. But you you don't see them, but they make a lot of money with just the industry that it is. It's weird. And so I, I want more average people, average leaders to come up and act like Ron DeSantis. Is. I know I went on a rant there, but that's just my, my mentality on it these days. It's so f- frustrating, but it's like something that we could actually do. So I'm excited by that concept. And that, that gives me that hope and that spirit again, because it's so hard to look at the news these days and all the rhinos that are out there and the DC style politicians, but to know that I think, I think we're like entering this Renaissance period. And I think it's going to be a really, really good time for us. It's going to be a big fight, but it's going to be a good time for us to move forward and save this country. Um, let's move on to the next story. Speaking of the news being frustrating, I wanted to talk to you guys about something that I saw on MSNBC. So I found this article that kind of explained the situation. Um, The headline in the post-millennial says, Watch, MSNBC guest says Republican leaders should be arrested for Jan 6 riot, compares them to bin Laden. The justice correspondent, Eli Mistel, joined Joy Reid on MSNBC to compare Republican congressmen to al-Qaeda leadership saying they must be prosecuted as the intellectual leaders of the January 6 riot. Intellectual leaders, you guys, the intellectual leaders thing really gets me because it's very cultural revolution style. It's very USSR. And a lot of the times when the left gets into power and when they start to do this takeover, they get rid of intellectuals because they know that intellectuals have the ability to have critical thought and think in an opposite way and and potentially rally people against them and challenge their authority and so this, this language is what I want to pay attention to in this and, and show you guys. Because, again, intellectual leaders of the riot, they weren't there. They, they had really nothing to do with it. And they are being accused of it because they, they intellectually lead. Their ideas are scary. So we're going to look into this. Now, I can't play the video because I had this software put on so that I was able to play live videos when I record, and that's what killed my <laughs> my computer. But I just got a new computer so that I can do this stuff for Yas, and so I'm going to test it out on there and see if maybe my computer is just the thing that's really, like, puttering out. But long story short, can't do it right now, so I'll maybe leave a link or something in the bio. 
But let's get into the article. So justice correspondent Eli Mistel joined jo- Joy Reid on MSNBC to compare Republican congressmen to al-Qaeda leadership, saying they must be prosecuted as the intellectual leaders of the January 6th riot. Mistel called on the Justice Department to go after the powerful and called them organizing white domestic terrorists. This really gets me going, you guys. This is how you like start a civil war, let's be honest. Mistel said that the Department of Justice must lean on the, quote, weakest among, quote, the, quote, cowardly white domestic terrorists, unquote, to get the, quote, intellectual leaders, end quote, of the January 6th riots. I'm going to read that without the quotes because it makes no sense. Mistel said that the Department of Justice must lean on the weakest among the cowardly white domestic terrorists to get the intellectual leaders of the January 6th movement. So they want to try and get people to rat on each other, I guess. Um... Mistel called on the DOJ to prosecute Republican congressmen, prosecute political opponents, and called for the leaders of the Republican Party, the leaders of a political party of your opposition, to be arrested as the kingpins of the insurrection. So they're calling for the arrest of the leaders of an entire political party representing half of the population. To have them thrown in jail. Think about that. Quote, the analogy I've made before, this would be like after 9-11. The government said, well, we got the people on the planes and we didn't go after Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. And we didn't go after Osama bin Laden. We need to get the very top level people who planned, organized, and thought out this attack on our country. Mistel said in comparing Republican leaders to al-Qaeda terrorists who committed the 9-11 attacks. So they're comparing the leaders of the Republican Party to Osama bin Laden, who helped plan the 9-11 attacks. In the meantime, Joy Reid is nodding along and building on Mistel's points in complete agreement. Mistel suggested that Biden AG Merrick Garland was a coward, saying he lacks the fortitude to prosecute Republican leadership for inspiring January 6th's riot. Now, first of all, who is this Mistel guy? And why is he given such a big platform where he's allowed to call for this massive level of division? Not just division, but political prosecution. Quote, I don't yet see Merrick Garland's Justice Department being willing to prosecute the powerful, the actual power brokers who conceived of this attack, Mistel said. Garland has pushed widely disputed theory along with Joe Biden that, quote, in the FBI's view, the top domestic violent extremist threat comes from racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists, specifically those who advocated for the superiority of the white race, quote, despite the lack of evidence of any significant violence. Can you believe that for over a year, Mainstream media reporters would stand in front of burning buildings and people would be pulled out of their cars and beaten and people would stop intersections and brutalize cars and the drivers who tried to get out of the intersection stop protest. And I I know in my area of upstate New York, a couple that was trying to defend their small business was beaten with plywood for, again, trying to protect their small business from being looted and robbed and burned to the ground by BLM and Antifa protesters. And now the left has the guts 
to call the most violent threat in the country as being white supremacy, saying that we need to be thrown in prison for the violence that we cause in this country. There's a classic tactic of the left to accuse your opponent of what you are doing. They do that with literally everything. But this is a very serious, serious example. They are the side of domestic terrorism, and they are accusing us and writing it into the books of the bureaucracy and of our national law enforcement, the FBI, that white supremacy, that Christianity, that conservatism, patriotism, don't tread on me shirts, the most basic things of America, those, that's domestic terrorism. Do you see what's happening here? And these little, I should warn you guys, these little steps of them doing this are building a larger pattern and larger justification for them to later on be able to fully convince people that we are the domestic terrorists that deserve political prosecution. That's where we're at right now. It's the building blocks. Garland has pushed widely disputed theory. Oh, I already read that part. Sorry, guys. Oh, so that's the end of the article. So, like I was saying, this language from who? This random guy? And Joy Reid just nods along? If you haven't noticed yet, they hate us. They don't like us. And they are trying to build a reputation for us, not only out in the world, out in the minds of the listeners and the watchers of the show. They're trying to, in law, in law, in regulation, in teaching, Make it so that we are declared the domestic terrorists as they literally commit domestic terrorism. I'm stressed now. <laughs> okay. Next topic. So this is just more of a little rant. So the ACLU, not the best reputation in terms of what conservatives think about them, but the ACLU put out a tweet that really just got me thinking of you guys and, and made me want to just talk about it really quickly. And it said, quote, say it with us. F school, F softball, F cheer, F everything. And they actually said the F word. We know our First Amendment rights and we will use them. Get the new F everything tea today. And it's this t-shirt that says F-U-C-K, school, softball, cheer, everything. And it's like for students. And it's this little girl wearing the F-U-C-K everything shirt. And for me, it's we're in a time right now where students are really suffering mentally. They've been locked in their homes basically for the last year and a half as the left forced them to stay there instead of being able to go and sit in class like a normal group of people. And it had severe mental impact on them where I think the depression levels have doubled since pre-COVID times. The mental uh, mental health insurance claims have doubled. Self-harm claims have doubled all since pre-COVID times. People are really suffering right now, specifically students. And when you think of school, softball, cheer, everything, and you add to this hateful 
mindset, you aren't building winners. You're again, creating and adding to the messaging that everything sucks. The system sucks. I'm the victim. I'm upset by everything. There's no joy and fulfillment in life. Hello, in these young people's lives, school should be fulfilling. It should be a way for them to learn. It should be a source of socializing for them. Same with sports, softball, cheer, everything, that kind of organized sport and that competition and that hard work that they do, that the athleticism that comes with it, the, the health of being outside and running and playing with friends and being in a team, all of these great things. And the ACLU is like participating in the disintegration of it. So I, I just get so frustrated when I see the left not only say that family's bad and parents are bad and it's not good to have kids because they're going to die of climate apocalypse and religion is bad and so on and so on. And now they're even putting it on our kids to F school, F sports, F everything. It's, it's like I'm sorry, but when you actually take the time to enjoy hobbies and enjoy sports and enjoy learning and enjoying extracurricular activities, that's what really, and, and enjoying friends and family and loved ones, that's when you feel fulfilled and that's when you realize the great things of life and not when you're feeling empty and you have no outlets for creativity, no outlets for competition, no outlets for growth. I'm, I'm sorry, I just, I see something so unhealthy with this. And yeah, you could be like, Morgan, it's just a tweet and a t-shirt, but why is the ACLU doing it? It's I get it to make a first amendment thing that like yeah you can say f fill in the blank but I just think there could have been something more creative done that didn't have to again add to this victim mentality that people have these days when we're just completely low achievers that don't find joy in anything but looking at our phones. So I just thought it was a little disappointing. Um now next thing. Okay. And I'll make this one the last one. So I initially heard about this via tweet uh, from Disclose.tv. Uh, it says, Justin, CDC advisory group says there is a, quote, likely link between MNRA, MRNA, hashtag COVID-19 vaccines, and, quote, rare heart inflammation in young males after 300 reported cases. And we're going to read the article now because, Wow. CDC advisory group says there is a likely link between COVID-19 vaccines and rare heart inflammation in young adults after nearly 500 reported cases. Oh, the updated title. Okay. An advisory group for the CDC and, oh wait, an advisory group for the CDC says there is a likely link between rare cases of heart inflammation in adolescents and young adults and the Pfizer BioNTech and Moderna COVID-19 vaccines. In a presentation released on Wednesday, the COVID-19 Vaccine Safety Technical Work Group discussed nearly 500 reports of the heart inflammation known as myocarditis. I might be saying that wrong. In vaccinated adults under the age 30. The group of doctors said the risk of myocarditis, myocarditis, <laughs> sorry guys, pericarditis, <laughs> The group of doctors said the risk of myocarditis or pericarditis, you guys, I hope you're not laughing listening to this, following vaccination with the mRNA-based shots in adolescents and young adults is notably higher after the second dose and in males. It comes as the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, ACIP, is set to meet this week to assess the possibility of a link between the heart condition and the mRNA vaccines. 
According to the presentation, there have been 484 preliminary reports of myocarditis in young people under the age of 30 as of June 11th. So far, 323 have been confirmed by the CDC and 148 are still under review. In total, 309 patients were hospitalized, of which 295 were discharged and 90 or 79% have since recovered. Okay, so that's good. So let's see, 79% have recovered, so that's good. Because I hate thinking that this is a a terrible impact long-term on them. Okay, nine patients are still hospitalized with two in intensive care units. There was no data available for five patients. Males were much more likely to report heart inflammation after receiving a second dose than women. As of June 11th, there were 9.1 per million reported cases of myocarditis in females ages 12 to 17 compared to 66.7 per million in males of that age group. So for females, it was 9.1 cases per million, but with males, it was 66.7 cases per million. What's more, rates among females ages 18 to 24 and ages 25 to 29 were 5.5 million and 2.6 million respectively. Okay, so as the women got older, the cases went down. So that's good. And males, okay, for the males, the rates were 56.3 per million for 18 to 24 and 20.4 million for 25 to 29. So it slightly went down. This type of heart inflammation can be caused by a variation of infections, including a bout of COVID-19, as well as certain medications. With more than 90.6 million young Americans under the age of 30 who have received one or both doses of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, it means just 0.000534% of people who have been administered the shots have reported such an effect. So it's good, but I just... For me, maybe you guys disagree with this, as young people, we are not at risk of this. To put yourself at risk of heart inflammation and really damaging stuff when you're this young and not really at risk of COVID, I don't know why you would put yourself at risk of serious impacts from a vaccine that's not approved yet. I hope I don't get banned for saying that. The ACIP will discuss the benefits of the mRNA vaccines versus the potential risk to adolescents and young adults from the heart condition. The group is not expected to cast a vote on any issues regarding the vaccine rollout, but may issue an update on vaccine safety. The CDC earlier this month said it was still evaluating the risk from the condition and did not confirm a casual relationship between the vaccines and heart issues. The agency, however, said a higher-than-expected number of young men have experienced heart inflammation after their second dose of the mRNA COVID-19 shots, with more than half of the cases reported in people between the ages of 12 and 24. Again, you guys, knowing there is such great risk of this, I don't understand why a young, healthy group in the population would take the risk of finding this stuff out and especially shame on schools. This is like really my, my summary on this shame of on schools for requiring students to enter fall 2021 semester 
having been vaccinated. There are schools requiring students to get vaccinated when there is so much unknown information out there, like what just happened, finding out that there's an abnormal amount of heart inflammation in a certain group of young men. It's just, as a school administrator and leader, I can't imagine being somebody who would make that risky decision and put all these boys' lives on the line. There's a vaccination for the people who need it, for the people whose lives are very much at risk, and they should definitely get it because it's worth it for them. But it's not in this case, and to require students to take this vaccine is insane, beyond insane. So this thing closes off, and it says, Pfizer, whose vaccine has been authorized for use in Americans as young as 12, previously said it had not observed a higher heart inflammation rate than would normally be expected in the general population. Well, that's what they said then. Look at now. Moderna had said it could not identify a casual association with the heart inflammation cases and its vaccine. Well, again, that's what they said, and look at now. Although health officials in Israel have also determined that there is a likely link between the vaccination and the heart inflammation, concerns about the more infectious Indian Delta variant have prompted the country to urge 12 to 15-year-olds to get vaccinated. These variants, you guys, it's going to be never-ending with these. Sorry, my Siri just went off. Siri, turn off. Can I ask you to turn off? Okay. Okay, I think that story is really frustrating to me because these are kids that are pretty much, in any other situation, healthy, young males, and now 300 or so of them, kids really, have inflamed hearts because schools and society are pressuring them to get an unapproved, unofficially verified vaccination with so many unknowns. And I think that's really just disturbing because this all comes down to protecting our children, whether it's the education of them, what they're being told, what they're being lied to about, the truths that they get, and then what, what is being put in their bodies. I mean, we're t- we want to talk about pro-choice. This isn't exactly pro-choice. And my summary for this, to all of this, my thoughts right now, are that we have forced these kids for over a year to sit in their homes, in their little rooms with bad connection to the internet and sit on Zoom to try and learn for over a year, for eight hours a day staring at this screen. We wonder what kind of impact that's going to have on them. When we put them back in school, we make them wear masks for, again, almost eight hours a day. When we send them to summer camp, Politicians are forcing them to wear masks outside. When we make them play soccer and go to sports and go to prom, again, masks inside, outside, wherever it may be. And now we're putting these kids through taking vaccinations that are inflaming their hearts when they were going to be fine and they are healthy individuals in every other sense. Do you think that what the left is doing these days and what the Generation Z and millennials that are still in school age, because you know, they're kind of growing out of that age. Do you think that they're going to grow up and be like, authority is a joke? I think they're going to be so pro-freedom based on what's happened to them and the adults that have lied to them, like Fauci. They're going to be so anti them and so distrustful of what authority tells them that they're going to be like, pro-freedom patriots and maybe they want i'm not saying like they have to be republicans or conservatives or anything but they're not going to fall for 
really anything, I don't think. I think they're going to have a massive snap and realize that they've been lied to about so much, and it's going to make them into very much anti-authority patriots. So that's my, my vision right now, because if I was a, a young kid that was coming of age and like realizing what's going on, and then if I like researched on DuckDuckGo, not Google, Fauci's emails and stuff after I became an adult and was like, wait, they made me wear masks that whole time. And, and in some States they were just open and living their lives like in Texas. And then in New York, I had to go outside at summer camp and wear a mask. And, 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 and they made me take a vaccine that wasn't tested yet to go to school. It's, it's all this stuff. I think it's going to really give them this epiphany. That's my vision at least. And what I think is going to also need to happen so we can't just assume that they're going to make that epiphany on their own. We should use this as a really great opportunity to reach them with the idea that it's better when you can make your own choices because only really you know what's best for you. And these people clearly lie. You can't trust them. And you always should trust people, but verify. Um, that's that for tonight, you guys. Remember to subscribe on YouTube. Give me the five stars on the podcast platform and give me a little review or comment saying this is the best podcast ever. Um, thank you so much. If you like that idea for the curriculum on a state-by-state or local level, please let me know because I would love help on it. Right now, I'm just kind of getting my ducks in order and, and looking at the opportunities. But ciao, ciao. Good night. God bless. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys.